Our Father in heaven, we have sung to you. We have read your word. Uh, we have delighted in worship uh, this morning. And Lord, we're just asking you that once again, you will be here with us. That is your faithful promise. And this is our prayer, that your word would be something that would come into our hearts and will convey us of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in what sociologists call low-context culture. A low-context culture are ones where you have to over-communicate. Communicators in low-context cultures, like in North America or in Scandinavia or in Europe, depend little on context or on a situation to convey their meaning. They assume that their listeners know very little and that they must be told practically everything. Low-context cultures tend to be logical, analytical, action-oriented, and concerned with the individual. So here in the United States is a very low-context culture. And you see that when you're trying to send a text, and many of us, let's be honest, we're a little bit afraid of sending a text for fear of being misunderstood. Sometimes we, when we send our text, we put a little bit of emojis on there or something because we don't want to look like we're being passive-aggressive either. And so we, we over-communicate in a low-context culture. But then there is a high-context culture which are implicit in the ways they communicate, more in mannerisms, the tone of voice that has influence in the words in themselves. In high-context culture, such as those in Asia or in the Middle East, the listener is already contexted and does not, be, and does not need to be given a background information. These are the places where you read in between the lines, where you communicating. In a high context culture, you're more likely to be intuitive, contemplative, and concerned with the collective. You read within and between the lines. High context cultures, when we come to scripture, it can be a little bit odd for us people who live in a low-context culture. Because there's lots of you that we probably read in Scripture and we don't understand because we live, that the Scripture was written in a high-context culture. And so we run the risk of reading over something that has value or uh, something that is meaningful or something that is significant and not and missing the opportunity. So when we read John chapter 6, let's put in our high context goggles because we don't, as Westerners, want to miss what the scripture has for us and it's screaming at us. So let's go ahead and open the Bibles to John chapter 6. Verse 25 and 40. John chapter 6, verse 25 and 40. The Bible says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves that had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The works of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as, in, in, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now that we have read the text, there are three things, three things that just off the bat we read that if we don't have our high context goggles on, we will miss them. Number one is the bread. In the Old Testament, presumably in the time of Jesus, bread was a principal article of food that supported life. Other items such as fruits and vegetables and flesh foods took a secondary place in the diet. Bread is such a principal item that it becomes synonymous for food in general. A person could survive a long time on only bread and water. In the Jewish culture, bread was made of barley or wheat. The form of the loaves were different than ours, being usually flat cakes. Both uh, leavened and unleavened bread were used. The unleavened bread played an important part in connection with the feast of the Passover, uh, when seven days unleavened bread was to be eaten, according to Exodus chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. But then you go to Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, we have the story of the manna, the bread from heaven that for 40 years the children of Israel ate in the wilderness. The table of the showbread, this was a prominent item in the, in the tabernacle or in the, te, in the temple service. And according to Roy Gain in his book, Altar Call, it says that according to the rituals in the, in the tabernacle, Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 9, it says that once a week on the Sabbath, they changed the bread. And so you could imagine that if you're an Israelite and you're camping out in the desert and you see uh, more, more you, you smell because you probably have a lot of tents you can't see, but you smell this aroma of this bread being made, 
in combination with the altar of incense. So you see this combination of, of aromas in throughout the camp. That, if you were an Israelite, you would be like, oh, God's presence is with us. If you smelled that aroma, and that's really what the showbread symbolized. The presence, the bread of the presence symbolized the life-giving power of Christ. So if you were an Israelite and you, you went outside and the first thing you went in your tent and you went like, and you smell that aroma, wouldn't that give you some satisfaction? Wouldn't that give you some sense of affirmation that God was with you? And it says that the bread has also an implicit connection to hospitality as well. Because you see, people shared bread at meals. And so community and relationships were formed and were at the front and center. So even today, when you go to a restaurant, I won't say Olive Garden. <laughs> and you go to a restaurant, the first thing that they give you is what? Bread. And they serve you bread as a sign that they're welcoming and, they are, and they're giving you the bread as a not sign of just welcoming and of, of their generosity, but also of their bounty. So in Genesis 18.3, we see the story of Abraham when he receives three visitors. And, and we see that Abraham not only offered bread, but he instructed his wife to use the finest flour to make the bread that he offered his guest to be the best food. So we see, if we don't have our high-context goggles on, we would miss the significance of the bread. Why do I share this? Because the story that the readers would have heard at the time of Jesus when he mentioned bread would have quickly connected the significance of the bread. They would have quickly picked up that something is going down. He would have been like, elbowing the person next to them. Hey, did you see? Jesus just mentioned bread. They would have known that something is about to go down. Number two, the phrase, verily, verily, or truly, truly, that is used by Jesus, appears four times in chapter 6. Verse 26, verse 32, verse 47, and verse 53. In the Gospel of John, Jesus frequently uses this word verily, verily in the King James Version or in the ESV, truly, truly. Um, and these phrases in the original language or in the Greek word is amen, amen. And so the word has different implications depending on how and where you use it. Jesus' application of the term is notably different from prior uses. Because you see, in our modern use of the word amen, it's typically used at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. It may also be spoken to show agreement in some statement or idea. This is a slightly different form, but closely related to the original of the term seen in the Old Testament. Because we see here in the Hebrew, the word amen means so be it. 
And so this term or this expression is what? A complete agreement. So we see this examples in passages such as 1 Chronicles 16.36 or Deuteronomy 27.56. When the children of Israel, Israel say to the Lord, Yes, we agree. And then after each sentence, they say in their blessings, they say, Amen. Let it be so. This is how the term is used. Placing the word at the end of a statement. It's like a way of accepting or agreeing or endorsing what came before. So when you hear something or you're listening to a message or you hear something and you agree, you say, Amen. Because you agree. But Jesus, however used the word amen before making the statement that he gave the message. So you see, it was different. He didn't say amen after he heard the message. He said it before. Why is this significant? Because when he used it in this way, the word amen has a slightly different implication. Leading off with amen not only implies that what follows is true, but also that the person making the statement has first-hand knowledge and authority about it. So Jesus saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or amen, amen, he's not merely saying, I believe, believe me that it's true. What he's actually saying is, I know firsthand that it's true. Jesus' use of verily, verily is part of his consistent claim of divinity. Jesus is not merely being aware of these truths. He is the one who originated them. So the disciples and others listening to the words of Jesus would have understood his use of these phrases in exactly the same way. So when we read Jesus's words and we see the statements beginning with verily or truly or some variation or amen, those are the ideas which can be intimate or personal firsthand knowledge of Jesus. So we see first the bread. Now we saw the phrase verily, verily, or truly, truly, or amen, amen. But third, we see the phrase, I am the bread of life. So in the Gospel of John, this is the only Gospel in which we, in, in which it recounts seven Unique I am sayings. Jesus pronounced during his ministry with each of the Greek words saying, Ego eimi, I am, following a predicate. So you have, I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. You have, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. And finally, I am the true vine, John fifteen one. And the reason why these are significant sayings is because these are unique sayings that are not only emphasize the important aspect of Jesus's ministry, but also describe the divine qualities that he offers humanity. If I need to satisfy my hunger, who am I going to go to? Jesus. He is the bread of life. If I am in darkness, who am I going to turn to? The light of the world. 
You see, these are the significant qualities that Jesus offers humanity. The salvation that God promised in the Old Testament was present in Jesus. Jesus is our sustaining bread. In addition to these I am statements, Jesus also used these statements to declare that he is the great I am. When Jesus used these ego a me, when Jesus says I am, he is not just merely saying that I am, he is saying that he is the great I am. Jesus is saying before Abraham, I am. When Jesus is saying I am, the, I, Jesus is saying I am the God of the Old Testament. So when these statements appear, something would have triggered with the people who were there listening to, to, to Jesus to declare that he was before the Old Testament. You see, when the people listened to this, they would have said, they would have immediately connected that when God, when God appeared to Moses in the midst of the burning bush. Do you remember that? Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, When I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, What is your name? What should I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am what? Who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the people listening to Jesus would have automatically connected his I am sayings to the story and understood his claim of divinity. So now that we have this cultural backdrop and that we have our high context goggles on, we would have read all of that and missed big time. Because now we're ready to actually read what the Bible has to say to us. And not only, not only that, but to find and to learn what the story really is telling us. Check this out. John 6.25. We're going to start there again. And it says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly, amen, amen. I know for a fact, he says, that you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate of the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. The crowd is following Jesus because they want more bread. But Jesus does not want to talk about bread. Not physical bread anyways. He wants to talk about the human heart. John 6.26, basically in the original language, when he says, you're looking for me, Jesus ignored the question and immediately began to discuss their motives for seeking him. He begins to laying down the materialistic motives and only the satisfaction of their physical appetites, but also the whole range of their ambitious expectations that he would assert himself as a military conqueror or as a political leader. But John 6.27 says, that Jesus said, 
Do not work for the food that spoils. Jesus here is not rebuking that which is necessary in order to gain livelihood. His rebuking is directed rather to those who work to the extent of neglecting the nourishing of the soul. There's nothing wrong in working. The problem is when we overwork. And we work to the point in which we neglect our nourishment of our soul. That's the problem. What Jesus rebukes is the common habit of working only for the things of this world and ignoring the things of eternity. Mark 8.36 says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And many of us, if, I w- if we were brutally honest with ourselves this morning, we would realize that even attending church or coming to church or being involved in the programs, if we're not continually eating from His Word, we're coming to church, but we are still hungry for that existential inch in our hearts. We're still looking for something because Jesus has not truly transformed our heart. We're still looking for something. We can come here, we can mask, we can pretend all that we want, but we are not truly searching for, for Jesus and His Word. Didn't Jesus pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread? Jesus knew the power of a prayer and Jesus knew the power of His Word. He knew that seeking His Father constantly was such an important thing. Jesus describes our need as bread from heaven. Why bread from heaven? Because we are dead in sin. And he sees humans like desert, like a barren wasteland that are dead and lifeless. In our human condition, and I ask, if our human condition is dead and lifeless, then we need food that endures. Anything that we do here on earth, we're not going to take with us. Newsflash. Anything that we own will stay here as well. We all hunger and long for the things to seize and to capture the human heart that create meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. And we we will do whatever it takes. Many times, we do things that we're not supposed to be doing. And we go our separate routes trying to fill in that void. But in their case, it says here in the Bible that they were charmed and captivated with the physical food that Jesus had provided. Because if you see here in the context, starting verse uh, in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and they were still charmed by that. And they were so concerned with their present situation that they didn't, they didn't realize that they were missing out on something far greater it was for eternity. Maybe some of us can identify with the Jewish crowd. We too find ourselves often concerned with material things of this world. We build treasures on earth instead of storing uh, up treasures in heaven where moths and vermin destroy and thieves, and thieves break in and steal. We are so consumed with the hustle and the bustle of this life that we often miss what is most essential, 
which is our daily bread. I don't know what our daily routine is. I don't know if as soon as we wake up and we open up our eyes, do we have a moment where we can be alone with Jesus? When we wake up, is our first intention, our first thought is, boy, I'm so happy that I'm alive, Lord. Thank you for giving me another day of life. Do I have gratitude in my heart? Or do I wake up in a hurry? Do I wake up with the toils and the worry of this world and I go on and I live my life in such a way in which I think that I'm controlling my life when in reality I don't know where I'm going? We struck aside the kingdom of God for the kingdom of this world. And like the Jewish crowd, we succumb to the temporary things of this desert and the wasteland that we call this world. Jesus says in chapter and verse 27, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures eternal life. One of the saddest experiences in my life was to be invited to go on a tour of a ranch of this owner who showed me his property, who had a, a nice uh, couple cars, uh, big property land, and who also um, had a big house. And he showed me all his uh, material things, and he showed me everything that he had. But you know what? All of those things came at a cost, because this man was crippled. He could not walk. He had worked all his life. He had already retired. And he had never spent a single penny going out to Europe or traveling or seeing the world or donating money to help other people. He just kept all the money, kept all the money. And for me, it was really sad because this individual never attended church, never came to the things, never was really a a spiritual person. All the time it was work, 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 day and night, work, work, work. And the only thing that came into my mind was, was it worth it? Was it worth it that you spent all your life literally working and now you're in a chair, you can't move, you can't go anywhere, you're stuck there, was it worth it to spend, to not even spend all your money, to have all, this is practically a millionaire, and didn't even use the money for anything and was far and away from God. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That food that Jesus is talking about in this, constant, in this context stands for life. Something he would freely give them, not because of their human achievement, but because they believe. What what must we do, they said in verse 28, to do the works that God requires? And in the original language, they're basically, what they're saying is, what should we be doing? Written in this present tense implies that the Jewish were inquiring regarding a habitual way uh, of life rather than an isolated act. And Jesus tells them that they have to do, all that they have to do is to believe. And instead of rejoicing and instead of believing, although thousands of people have been fed miraculously the day before, what do they do? 
they asked for a sign. But Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that they were asking for selfish reasons. He knew that they were merely, merely just looking for an unending supply of food. Verse 30 says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? That you will do. Our ancestors ate that manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. And then Jesus tells us, You know, you think that Moses gave you that manna? What are you going to give us? Although Jesus had not given them, although, although Jesus had given them the bread before, they were still asking for a sign. And Jesus tells them, that manna that you are asking for, that you so desperately want, want, how far did that get your fathers? Aren't they all dead? But the bread that comes from God is far more greater than the physical bread that you want. And I wonder if like the Jewish crowd that was surrounding Jesus, we too struggle with unbelief. We look at how God has led us in the past and we still doubt in His promises. God has showed us once and once again that He is with us, that He's faithful with us. That prayer that you had been praying for, He has answered it. Maybe He didn't answer it the way that you wanted it, but He answered that prayer. We go into the world looking for bread that's temporary, that goes bad, that spoils, to satisfy our, exist, our existential hunger. Because if we really wanted that bread, it's not about just being faithful to the church. It's not about just being faithful to the church activities. It's not about coming to prayer meeting. All those things are good. It's not about being involved in the church programs being present on Sabbath morning. It's more than that. Because once we experience the gospel, we experience the love of Jesus, and we experience what God has done in our life, we, we would never turn that bread away. We would be so hungry that we would want that bread, and we would want that bread over and over and over and we would just completely be eating continually. Because you see, the, to believe is the primary act of a flourishing Christian life. Jesus is just asking us to believe, to have faith, and to eat of that bread. John 6.34 says, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And as we saw these I am sayings are not just the, the reason why they're significant is because this, these I am sayings are implicitly, explicitly saying that Jesus has divine power to do something in our lives. So what does, so what does Jesus mean? What does this mean? It means that we are not satisfied unless we have Jesus. We are not spiritually satisfied unless we have Jesus in our lives. We cannot survive spiritually without Jesus. I don't know, how, I said it this morning, I don't know how people survive without Jesus. I don't know how people have, do life without Jesus in their lives. 
on our own, we will, we will try to fill in for ourselves that which does not or cannot satisfy our deepest longings. The only thing that can satisfy our longings, His name is Jesus. That's it. We have a need to belong, to have a purpose, to be loved, but so many of us keep looking in the wrong places. We keep going in the wrong direction. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Ultimately, what he is saying is, I am the only one that can satisfy your deepest needs and your longings. That void that you're searching for, that void that you're looking for, you keep running. How long are you going to continue running? Isn't that get exhaustive? To live physically, we need bread. Just like in um, other cultures, I know that in Mexico, we cannot eat without tortillas. You know, we need our tortillas. I don't know if they're corn, flour, uh, some might say jalapenos, but we, 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 need our, we need our tortillas. You know, in, in, in Asia, uh, rice or noodles. You know, uh, for, for, for uh, uh, the Jewish people, it was bread. So when Jesus is saying that he is the bread of life, think about the significance that he's saying. Jesus is basically saying, you know, that this bread that you so desperately need, that you use every day, I am that bread. I'm not just the bread giver. I, I myself am the very bread. If you want to survive, you need more of me the necessity of the daily life that revolves around the bread, of making the bread, revolves around Jesus. It says, if we want to live a life of abundance, spiritually we need Jesus, who indeed is the bread of life, who always is ready to welcome us at his table. Jesus did not create us, did not make us for us to survive. Many of us, we're always tired. Every time, oh, how are you doing? Oh, we're always tired. And that's, that's okay that we're tired. But God did not create us to be tired all the time. He, to just survive, to just kind of make it. God created us so that we can thrive. And just note here, the bread of life statements that appear in chapter 6, verse 33, um, 35, 41, 48, 51, and 58. All of these, Jesus keeps repeating the same phrase, I am the bread of life. And as we learn in our series that we've been doing here in the book of John, every time that Jesus repeats something more than once, he's repeating it because he's trying to highlight it. Is something that is important. And as the tree of life gave life to Adam and Eve, the bread of life gives life to us. And the implication of the bread of heaven is that seeing Jesus and believing in Him, are, we are to produce real life and life to the fullest. We cannot have life to the fullest on our own. The only way that we can have life to the fullest is if we believe and we see Him. He is the one who produces life in us. Just as the food is eaten and is sustained for life, for physical life, it is necessary to invite Jesus into our daily experience in order to sustain spiritual life. It takes serious work 
to be a baker. I don't know if, if, you've, been a, if you've seen someone who makes bread, but make, making bread is hard. It's difficult. It's not an easy task. And uh, I, there's a, a bakery that, that I like to go whenever I visit my parents. And um, I asked one of the attendants that were there in the bakery, and I, I said, um, when does your first uh, batch, your first fresh batch comes out? He's like, five in the morning. And I said, uh, so when do you guys start making the bread? Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning making bread. Making bread is not easy. It, 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 it's so inconvenient. It's not enjoyable. And you might live with some level of anxiety that you may run out of flour at any moment. But in case you missed it, I'm not literally talking about making bread. Because we're always striving and we're always trying to maintain. But the flourishing Christian life is one that depends upon Jesus. It's not, a, it's not one that depends upon ourselves. So for me this morning, all I want to say to you all is, what kind of church do we want to be, Mount Pleasant? What kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be known for um, people who live in the outer rim, who just go through the motions, who just go through church and go through the ritual and going through the habits? Or do, are we desperately hungry for God? Do we want really to eat of His bread? But not just any bread, not just any physical bread, but do we want to eat the bread that comes from heaven, the bread that brings life? Do we want to be known as people who live and maintain the way of Jesus? Making sure that He is first and foremost in our life. Because the mission of the church is not to get people outside, inside. Instead, the mission of God, Missio Dei. Did you notice who I said? The mission of God is His mission. It's not the mission of the church. The mission of God is to use the church to get people to Jesus. MPC, let's become the kind of people who design and create innovative ministries and a mission. And if mission is not in your line of work, you say, I I can't do a ministry. I, I can't do anything in the church. I can live a missional life for Jesus. Not to grow a church, because that's too small of a vision. Let's participate in the mission of God to grow God's kingdom. How about everyone? Let's just, all of us, go to Jesus. That's, that's the end point. That's the telos. The mission of, of God is to use the community of believers to be a beacon of hope in the city. And why does that matter? Because the world is hungry for the gospel. I don't know if you noticed or if you looked around, but there's people who are not doing well. There's a lot of people that are heartbroken, that are lonely, 
that need encouragement. There's people who are going through different battles. And like Mother Teresa rightly said, loneliness is the leprosy of our modern world. And it's true. It's true. People are hungry for a community, a place where they feel loved, where they feel accepted, where they belong. There are people who who you know, they are there, that they sense that there's more to life than just binging a show in Disney Plus for the weekend. You know that there's people who know out there that there's more to life than working 50 hours a day and living only for the weekend. You know that there's people out there in this world that know that there's more to life and they have this gut sense that this mess that we're in is not how it should be. To know that this world has created and was created to be stable. That this world was created to have peace, to have shalom and happiness. If not only If only there was a community of people that would hunger for God, that their personal time with Jesus would spill out to the point where they would share him with others because they knew that Jesus is the only one who satisfies the longings of their hearts. So this story is just an invitation to taste the bread from heaven for ourselves to eat from the food that endures and to experience the gospel, but the true gospel, not a sense of morality, because the gospel is more than that in such a way that we we can't help it but to share it and to share the love with others. If that is your desire, would you stand with us and sing hymn 312, Near the Cross. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great sacrifice in favor for us. And Lord, that is our prayer, that we can be near the cross. And Lord, help us to hunger more for you and to meditate in you day and night, like King David would say, and that we would have you in our heart completely, that we would not lose sight, Father, of what is essential and what is needed in this life. And as we go and we pass through the different situations of our life, when we have you first and foremost in our life as well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.